good morning. We are so glad you're here today. It's another beautiful day, right? The weather's perfect outside. A good day to go on a hike or a jog. And um, we're grateful for those of you that are joining us online that are watching on the live stream. We, we really appreciate you taking the time to do that. Um, I want to invite everybody to stand. We're going to look at our verses today. They're from Colossians 3, verses 12 through 7. So if you have your Bible with you or on your phone, you can pull that out. Turn to Colossians 3, verses 12 through 7. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so must you do also. In addition to all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, let the peace of Christ, to which you are indeed called in one body, rule in your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Father, we're so grateful for this time, and we just ask that your spirit would fill this room, that everything that's said and done here would be filtered through you, God the Spirit, that our hearts and our minds would be opened by you, God the Spirit, and that our lives would be transformed through the power of you, God the Spirit. And we ask all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, you can have a seat. So I have a question. How many of you guys are runners? Everybody... Nobody. I've never been in a building where no one person. Look, we're going to praise this young man right here. Thank you for being heart healthy. <laughs> so, so way back when, I'm not going to say just how long ago it was, but way back when I was a runner in, in, in junior high, I ran and, and I ran 1,600 meters. I was actually pretty good at it. And um, in grade eight, I ran a 520, 1,600 meters, which was like the fastest time that had been run in our city for that grade. So then I got to high school, and my dad was our track coach at my high school. This is a story for another day, but I'll give you a little context. I went to an all-male Catholic military high school. So if you see me start twitching once in a while, it's that. Um, sometimes it just sneaks up on me. But um, so I, I ran, I was going to run track, and, and I was running 1,600 meters. And first day of track practice, my, my first year of high school, my dad's like, what's your goal? I said, well, I want to get under five minutes. I want to get under five minutes in a mile. It's like, okay, it's a good goal for this year. I said, okay. So what do I need to do? I need to run 75-second, 400-meter splits. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. And he said, well, here's the deal. Let's just see where you're at. Go, and I'm gonna, I'll call out the times to you, and let's just see how far off you are. I said, okay. So I took off on that first 400 meters. I start running, and I'm getting near the in the completion of the first, I mean, I was flying. I'm just going as hard as I can. And I get near the, the completion of the first 400 meters, and I hear my dad going like, 85. I'm like, that can't be right. This is all I got. And I'm 10 seconds over on the first lap. This is not going to happen. So I got the second lap, and so I tried to pick it up a little bit. And as I get to the end of the second lap, I hear my dad go, 90. I'm like, wait, this is moving in the wrong direction. 
So I start going, I'm going to dig deeper, I'm going to go harder, and I get on the third lap, and I get about halfway done with the third lap, and I'm like, I forget it. I'm done. I thought I was going to die. I was a half a mile into this, and I thought I was going to die. See, here's the problem. I had this vision in my head of, yeah, I want to I get under five minutes, and then eventually by the time I finish high school, I'll be down around 4.30, and it'll all be great. And I had this vision in my head, but you know what I didn't have? I didn't have the intention. I had the vision. I didn't have the attention. I wanted it, but I didn't really want it. And my dad had the means... He was a phenomenal track coach. He had the means to help me get to the place where I could realize that vision, but I didn't have the intention. Let me ask you something. Have you ever had a vision of achieving something or doing something, but you lack the intention? You're like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to accomplish this. Life's going to look this way. I think we all have, right? Whether it's budgeting or dieting or working out or going back to school or painting the house or folding the laundry whatever it is, we get this vision in our heads of what life would look like, and we want it, but we never really intend to accomplish it. And so the vision falls by the wayside. And so we don't follow through. And so that change never happens. Because we think that if we just get a picture in our head, somehow it's going to magically be realized in our lives. We tend to think that we don't realize our vision because of a lack of ability. You ever felt that way? You're like, I really wanted to do this, but I guess I just can't. When the reality is, more often than not, it's not a lack of ability, it's a lack of intention. I was talking to a men's conference one time. This is how you, if, you, if anybody ever says, hey, come to a men's conference and talk for us and you don't want to, I have two things you can do to make sure they never invite you back. This is one of them. So I'm talking at this men's conference and, and we're talking about the book of Acts and all these things we see in there and, and just the way the church was exploding and people were growing. And one of the men's like, yeah, I don't know why we don't see that today. I'm like, I know why. We didn't intend for it. We never intended. We intended our spiritual life to be a nice thing we can pull off the shelf on Sunday morning, make us feel good about ourselves, and then walk out in the world and go back to living how we live. Because the vision that we have of church is a vision that doesn't include the things that the vision of the church in the book of Acts sought. What they sought was to spread the news of Jesus Christ to the entire globe. What they sought was to live by the Spirit of God. And our vision tends not to go that far. I think part of it is because we're worried that what if we stand up and make this great profession that we want to see God do this and do that and then he doesn't do it. I think that's part of it. But for whatever reason, the vision doesn't get realized because we don't have the intention. We have the vision, but we just don't intend to bring it about. And here's the problem. Vision without intention is merely fantasy. It's just fantasy. When we sit with a vision, but we don't have the intention to try to realize it, all we're really doing is fantasizing. We're fantasizing about what life could be, or how life could look, or how great things would be. But we never move anywhere. I'm guilty of this. Like when the lottery numbers get really high, we'll talk about, well, if you won, what would you do? What would you do? You know what I never do? I never buy a ticket. I never buy a ticket. I get this vision in my head of what life would be like if you won, you know, one of these $500 million jackpots. But clearly I don't intend to win it 
as evidenced by the fact that I don't buy lottery tickets. And that's what it looks like so often. We get this vision, and it's clear, but we don't do anything. And we think the reason we don't do it is because we don't have the ability, when the reality is we never intended to. Or maybe, maybe you do get a strong vision. Maybe sometimes we do have a strong vision, and we actually have intention. We say, I want to do this. I want to accomplish this thing. But we don't possess the means necessary to realize the vision. Nobody comes along and says, hey, that's what you want to do? You sure you want to do it? Yes. Well, then this is how you do it. We simply don't know what to do. We don't know how to bring about the vision, so we never realize the vision. And vision without means leads to frustration. You ever had somebody tell you to do something and you had no idea how to do it? How did you feel? We get frustrated. We get angry. We stop. We walk away. And I think it's because we don't recognize that all growth is a product of three components. Vision, intention, and means. I can have a vision without intention and nothing will happen. I can have a vision with intention and not know how to realize it and nothing will happen. I can have the means at my disposal and have no vision and nothing happens. I can have intention without a vision or means and nothing happens. Unfortunately, I think these three things have been absent from the church for too long. And we find ourselves being people who are kind of spinning our wheels. And so we settle for a lesser life with God because we rather don't have the vision or we don't intend for it because it gets in the way of the things that are easy for me or comfortable or nobody gives us the means. The saddest thing in the world to me is when a new Christian walks into church and they have this grand vision of what their life in Christ will look like and they want it more than anything and they walk into a dead or dying church and no one can tell them what to do. And they leave. And they decide that the life of God is somehow confined to this little circle right here that they're standing in. Or they come into church with all this fire and this vision and this intention and they encounter somebody who's been here forever who doesn't have that vision or hasn't changed anything. And they go, well, if that's what it is, I don't really want it. Because here's the deal. Until we come alive as God's people in Christ to the vision that he has for us, no one else will want it. We're going to people and saying, we're offering you this and it's not something they want. They look around and go, wait a minute, you're telling me that I could live my life without joy and with frustration and arguing over the color of the paint of a wall in a church? Nah, I'm good. I'm good. It's time. It's time for us to step up. The world is getting to a place where if we don't, there will be consequences that are destructive. It's getting to a place where if we do not get the vision that Christ has for us as his in our lives, there are people who are going to lose their souls. We already see it. We already see it. Those who would draw people away from God seem to have more intention than those of us who claim we want to draw them to Him. You think the world doesn't evangelize the world, but it does. And unfortunately, oftentimes, the world evangelizes better than we do. Simply because they have a different vision. They have a clearer vision of what they want life to look like. And they're intentional about it. 
So we go back to Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17, and listen to what these verses tell us to do. They tell us to be compassionate and kind and humble and gentle and patient, to bear with each other, to forgive each other like Jesus forgave us, to be loving, united, ruled by peace, thankful, to have the word of Christ dwelling in us richly, to teach with wisdom and admonish one another, to be thankful in our hearts. And then after all that, do everything we do. That means words and deeds in the name of Jesus. Anybody done that yet? Yeah, me either. I haven't either. My guess is that you're probably like me and you've done some of those things for a period of time, but you haven't done all of those things forever. I think I know why I haven't accomplished those things as a pattern of life. And I think the reason I haven't might be the same reason you haven't. You know why I haven't? Because I can't. I can't. Me, as the person I am today, standing before you right now is not capable of that. I just can't do it. Remember when I told you I wanted to run a five-minute mile? Why didn't I do it? Because I couldn't. If I could have, I would have. But I couldn't. I couldn't. I knew I couldn't. That's why I tried to engage in a training regimen that would turn me into the kind of person who could run a sub-five-minute 1,600 meters. Because I knew as I was that day, I couldn't do it. So I had to say, wait, i got to do something different, so I will become the kind of person who can do this. I knew that I could learn everything there is to know about running 1,600 meters in less than five minutes, but that wouldn't make me the kind of person who could run 1,600 meters in less than five minutes. Knowing how to do it doesn't make me the kind of person who can do it. I knew I had to be trained. I knew I had to be transformed. I had to be transformed physically, emotionally, and psychologically to become the kind of person who could run 1,600 meters in less than five minutes. I needed my hearts and my lung to grow into having the capacity to move air and blood through my body in a more efficient way. I needed leg muscles that could fire in the right way and had the proper mass to move me at that pace. I needed the psychological and emotional toughness to tell my body when it screamed stop, no, I'll keep going. I didn't have any of that. I couldn't do it. I needed to be a different person if I was going to realize that vision. That's what training is. When you train as a runner, you're not learning to run. You're physically becoming the kind of person who can run. When you train as a hockey player, you're not learning to play hockey. You're physically becoming the kind of person who can play hockey. When you pick up an instrument and try to learn it, you're not learning to play an instrument. You're physically becoming the kind of person who can play an instrument. That's true in spiritual growth, too. We discount that too much. But the reality is that same principle is true in spiritual growth. If I want to live the vision that Paul gives us for the life in Christ in Colossians 3, I can't learn how to do it. I have to be transformed into the kind of person who will do it, who has the capacity, the capability. And so we don't live this vision of Colossians 3, 12 through 17 out because we are not the kind of people who can do it yet. 
That's the most powerful word in the world, yet. Because if you're sitting here today and you hear me talk and you're going, yeah, you're right, I'm not that kind of person. Will you just tell yourself yet? You're not that kind of person yet. But you hang around here long enough, we're going to train you to be that kind of person. We're going to turn you into that kind of person. And it starts with a vision. It starts with a vision of what it means to live the fullness of life in Christ. The fullness of life. Every aspect, every facet, every thought, every emotion, every desire. And see, we read verses like this from Paul in Colossians, and we fail to realize that those words are there to help us build a vision. They're not obligations. It's not Paul saying, straighten up and fly right and do this. Because Paul knew better than any of us that until you become the kind of person who can live this way, you will not live this way. Paul was that person. He talks about it in his letters. He knew that. Unfortunately, we look at his words as commands too often. We think he's telling us to go out and do this and do that, and then we try to do it, and we fail, and we decide that God's disappointed and frustrated with us. God looks at us and goes, well, you know, I can let you in this far, but never this close, because you tried and you failed. You're not living this way, you didn't do it. No, God looks at us and goes, well, of course you failed, you big dummy, you can't do that. You can't do it. So I want to define real quick what it means to go deeper into this vision for our lives, to become intentional about it, and to, to acquire the means by which to do it. First thing we have to do is define what spiritual growth is. And so here's what spiritual growth is. Spiritual growth is the process of my interior life becoming the very life of Christ so that I live my life as Jesus would live my life if he were me. Spiritual growth is the process of my interior life becoming the very life of Christ so that I live my life as Jesus would live my life if he were me. Too often we think, I gotta live the life of Jesus. No, you don't, he already lived it. He wants you to live your life. He doesn't want you to live his life. He wants you to live your life because your life is uniquely positioned and structured to have people around you and in it that don't have Jesus in their life who are not part of Jesus' life. So it would make no sense for him to look at me and go, you have to live my life. But it makes perfect sense for him to look at me and say, let me live your life so that all those who are in your life who don't know me will meet me. This is how Dallas Willard, author and pastor and philosopher, describes it. He writes this. Spiritual growth is being formed, really transformed in such a way that its natural expression comes to be the deeds of Christ done in the power of Christ. Does that sound good to anybody? I think it sounds fantastic. I think it sounds absolutely fantastic. Could you imagine if you lived your life in such a way that you did what Jesus did in his power, which is exactly what he said we'd do, right? You will do all this and greater things than I have done because I'm going to the Father. And so here's what happens. The result of spiritual growth is simply this. 
I have a mind that thinks the thoughts of Jesus. I have a heart that desires the things of Jesus. I have a body that carries out the deeds of Jesus. And I have a soul that aligns every aspect of my life with that vision. And so the vision is probably best expressed in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's the biblical vision of life in Christ. Some interesting things in there. The first thing I note when I read that verse is I'm dead in this. I'm dead. That's a heck of an invitation, isn't it? Come to me, I'll kill you. Great. Where did I take a number? Let me line up. But the reality is, we were never designed to live life in our own power. We were only designed to live life in God. And therefore, to live outside of Christ is not really life. Anybody been there? I've been there. Here's what I know. All of you look at me and you think this is how I've always been. <laughs> I got stories to tell. No, she has stories to tell. I didn't come to Christ until I was 31. There's a lot of depravity in 31 years. So I know. Don't think I'm not talking about something I know. I know what it looks like to say, I want to live for me. I want to be alive. It's a train wreck. It doesn't work on any level. It brings misery to you and to everybody around you. And so when I see this and I say, well, here's the invitation to die, I go, thank you, God, finally. I was very much alive in the first 31 years and that didn't work out well. So thank you. Let's start there. And that's the vision that I want us to have as a church. I want our vision as a church for all of us to go, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live. Wouldn't that be an awesome vision if we all caught that? I think so. I think so. And so here's the deal. If you've been baptized into Christ, this vision's already in you. Listen to this in Galatians 3.27. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have, past tense, clothed, past tense, yourselves with Christ. So here's the deal. If you've been baptized into Christ, this vision's already in you whether you regularly acknowledge it or not. And so if you look back at the moments in your life where you felt dissatisfied, I'm going to bet you you're pursuing another vision. If you've been baptized into Christ and you find life dissatisfying, it's probably because you have another vision in mind rather than Galatians 2.20. And here's the dirty little secret of Galatians 3.27. If you've been baptized into Christ, there is no other vision that will ever satisfy you. There's just no way. There's no way. I heard a guy say one time, he was, a, he was a vegetarian, nothing against anybody who's vegan or vegetarian, but this guy said, you know, dogs are vegans too. And I'm like, that's funny. I've never seen a pack of wild dogs hunting clovers. Because that's what's in them. Now, do, can I make a dog vegetarian? Absolutely. But is that what's in them? No, it's not. What's in us is this vision of I've been crucified with Christ. 
And so now if you have that vision, if you want it and you long for it, then you need to become intentional. You need to be a little better than I was at track practice with my intention. My intention was I wanted the result. I wanted to be able to stand up and somebody go, what's your 1600 time? Eh, it's 458. And then somebody came along and said, wait, you have to actually do something to get there. I'm like, nah, I'm good. I'll go hang out with other people who won't be impressed by that. Impress them with something else. So listen to Matthew 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They'll be satisfied. Romans 13, 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ to make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. Ephesians 4, 24. Put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God. Do you see the intention words in these verses? All these words speak to intention. Hunger and thirst, put on. These are words that tell us to be intentional about realizing this vision. And knowing what I know about our church to this point, I believe we all want that vision. But do we have the intention? Do we intend to realize that vision in our lives? Well, I want to make it my intention. But then what do I do when I don't have that intention? I go to God and say, God, I want this vision to be realized. But my intentions right now are not that. So I'm going to ask you to help me want to want that to be my intention. And if I go, but I still don't even want to want it, then God, help me want to want to want it. Because what we miss is we think God is very receptive to us when we're living out of this vision, but I think he might be a little more receptive when we're not. Because he knows that when we're not living out this vision, we're just one tiny little step away from going, I can't do it, help me. I think one of the greatest lies that's been perpetuated on the church is this. God will never give you more than you can handle. You ever heard that? You're going through a tough time? God will never give you more than... I'm like, I hope he does. Because if he only gives me what I can handle, then I get to make me God. Because I handle all my problems. Now the times for me, honestly... The times that have been most fruitful spiritually are the times where I was upside down and had no idea what to do. When you get to that place where you just cry out. You say, God, it's wrong. It's not working. I'm crashing. And I don't know what to do. This morning I was praying, and one of the verses I was praying in Psalm 88 was, cry out to the Lord. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, God, who do I cry out to first though? I find I cry out to myself first, usually. And then I cry out to others, and then I cry out to knowledge. Sometimes I cry out to money. And so this morning as I was praying, I'm like, no, I want, to, I want my reflex to be to cry out to you. When this vision isn't coming about, I want to cry out to you. Finally, we get to this idea of means. What are means? Well, they're the things you do to make something happen. The means in the church are what we call spiritual training activities or what the early church fathers called spiritual disciplines. The things that I say, I'm going to intentionally practice this. They're the means of transformation that all begin with the Holy Spirit. Listen to this in Galatians 3. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? 
Listen to this. This is, this is Paul taking a little backhand slap at somebody. Are you so foolish? Are you so foolish, having, been, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? The Spirit began the work of transformation in you and in me and in all of us. We can't complete it with our own efforts. The Galatians tried. Paul called them out on it. The means we practice, we practice to participate with the Holy Spirit in our transformation. Those are spiritual means. Those aren't works of the flesh. And so what does that mean? It simply means this, that when I practice the means, the disciplines, I'm not doing them to change myself, but to create space for the Holy Spirit to change me. It's a big difference. Huge difference. This is what I'm saying to God. Lord, I'm doing this practice, this discipline, not so that you will work in me, but rather because I know you are working in me. Because you have a vision of me as the likeness of yourself. And because I'm becoming intentional in wanting that vision, I'm going to do these things. I'm going to do this stuff in place of my working so that you're working and moving in me before my, or before my heart and mind for this period of time right now. When we practice the disciplines, we're learning to make every moment of my life about God's working in me. Because I know when I walk out of that time in the morning where I do my daily office and pray, or at lunchtime, or at night, when I leave that moment, I know there's going to be hundreds of other moments in that day where I'm not doing that. And so what I want to do is grab those moments and say, I'm going to be intentional about creating space for you, God, the Spirit, to work in me because I'm getting ready to walk into places where I know I'm not going to be conscious of you working in me. And over time, what happens, I turn into the kind of person who can run that race. Moment to moment, God, you're here and working, and I'm going to be aware, and I'm going to participate. Now, I know that could sound like earning to some people, but it's not earning. The means of transformation are not earning God's grace, but transformation does demand efforts. I have to exert effort to participate with the work of grace that the Holy Spirit's doing in me. Grace is not opposed to efforts. It's opposed to earning. Grace is not in opposition to me exerting effort. It's in opposition to me exerting effort with the belief that I'm earning something from God in doing so. And so the job of the church is to provide all of us with the means that will best serve our intention to realize God's vision of us. That's what we call discipleship. Discipleship is us at the church going, hey, let's talk. I've figured out where you're at. You know where you are. You have this vision of Galatians 2.20 for your life. You're intentional about it. Now let me give you the things that you can do that will transform you into the kind of person who can live that out. It's what my dad did to me at track practice. Let me give you the things, because you profess to have this intention. He didn't know I didn't really have it, but he thought I had it. So you have this vision. You profess to have this intention. Here's the things you do so that you become the kind of person who can do this. Those means involve all kinds of stuff. Prayer, scripture reading, Bible study, gathering together, serving, silence, solitude, contemplation, training and submission to God. 
acts of compassion, and many, many, many more. So I just want to give you a brief sneak peek of our vision that we're going to unroll after the first of the year. We want the vision of our church to be Galatians 2.20. The vision of all of us living as people who have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer us who live, but Christ who lives in us. And the life that we now live, we live by faith in the Son of God. Now that begs the question, what is life? Life is everything that something is alive does. Everything. Everything. And so when Paul says, the life I now live, what I'm hearing is, as long as I'm alive... My life is everything I do. Therefore, everything I do, I will do by faith in the Son of God. Can we put that verse up again from Galatians 2.20? And let's all just read it together. Two twenty. You got your Bible, pull it out. I'll read it to you. And everybody just go, yes. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Here's what I want to invite you into. I want to invite you into making that a memory verse this week. Spend time with it. Think about it. Contemplate it. Read it. Memorize it. Recite it to yourself. Because I want us to become intentional about that vision. I want us all to say, this is what I want. And I want this more than I want anything else. And how do we realize that vision? Well, we do it by encouraging each other, by admonishing each other. We do it through doing the life of Christ together, all of us, through connecting with Jesus and with one another. And we want to be a church that's constantly providing you with the means by which you can participate with the Spirit working in you and in your life to bring about this vision in our community through each of us. See, the Holy Spirit gives the vision. It's not our vision to decide. The Holy Spirit gives the vision. Scripture is filled with vision for followers of Jesus. We have to provide the intention. I have to make a commitment in my heart and mind that says, I want this more than I want anything else. More than anything else, I want this. And then the church, all of us, we guide each other into the means. That's why life groups matter. That's why it matters to have pastors. That's why it matters to have mentors. That's why it matters to have people who are strong in their faith walking beside you. So you can go to them and say, I want this, and I really, really do. I want it more than anything, but I don't know how to get it. And then go, well, here, practice this. Walk in this with me. And so our practice for this series has been serving, right? Hopefully you've been doing that. Hopefully we've started a little ripple that'll become a tidal wave in our community of people being served in their basic needs and in their woundedness by people from temple, by the image of Christ running out of this building Sunday afternoons and colliding with the needs of our city. And so I want to remind you, serving is willingly laying down our time, talent, and treasures for the glory of God and the benefit of others. And I want you to practice that still this week. But I want you to do it from a different place. I want you to practice transformation as an act of service. 
I want you to say, God, here's the vision. I'm going to grasp it. I'm going to memorize Galatians 2.20, and I'm going to want this more than anything. And I'm going to be intentional about it. I'm going to remind myself throughout my day, no, this isn't what I want. That's what I want. And here's the means I want you to practice. That means is to simply come to a place of awareness. And it's this. I'm going to serve others, but I'm going to do it from becoming a servant, not simply doing acts of service. I'm going to serve others, but I'm going to do it from a place of becoming a servant, not simply doing acts of service. That's what Jesus was. He was a servant to us all. And so I want to invite you into practicing that discipline this week. As you think about and contemplate and memorize and study Galatians 2.20, ask yourself this question. What would my serving look like if I died and Christ lived in me? What would my serving look like if that was the case? Because I think what we're going to find is that I had somebody tell me one time, he was trying to get clean and sober, and, and we led him to the Lord in that process. And about two weeks into it, I talked to him, and I said, hey, how's it going? He said, you know, I'm doing more than I've ever done, but I'm working less. I'm like, good, good. Because that's the outcome of transformation, honestly. You will do more for Christ than you've ever done, but you'll find you're working less because you're not having to manifest it. It's an outflow of a life of him in us. So I want you to think about that this week as you go and you, you look at Galatians 2.20 and say, Lord, this is your word. It's powerful. Change me. Make me want this. Give me this vision. Help me become intentional about it and bring the people into my life who can provide me the means by which I can train into this be transformed into this. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful. We're grateful that we don't have to figure all this out. You've figured it out. You've showed us how to live it. You've invited us into the process of becoming people who can live it. And that you're doing that. Your spirit is doing that. And so we thank you. We thank you and we praise you. And we come to you with willing hearts, with a vision of what it looks like to be crucified with Christ with the intention of no longer living our lives, but letting Christ live in us. And we humbly ask you to present us with the means by which you can do this in each of us. We ask all that in the faithful name of your Son. Amen.